excited and looking forward to talking to you today, especially, I mean, I've been in the course for, I guess, four weeks, almost. I'm surprised you're not sick of me by now, having to listen to me every morning. Every morning. <laughs> and I mean, and you've got such a great voice for the meditation aspect. And I just wanted to say that the seventh meditation, the one I did this morning, was yeah. epic. Like it's, you know, because of the body movement and the energy with, with doing the, um, the sequence of movements through as you go through to the, to, towards the end, it was really amazing. So thank you for that because it, it kind of wakes you up at the same time. And at the same time, it, it kind of um, calms the energy. I don't know if, if that makes sense. Like you've got more energy, but it's, it's not crazy energy, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a big intention of, of the meditations in this program is to balance and harmonize, but also activating. Mm. Uh, I went through, I, I, my, my big thing has been like exploring the inner world. Um, mm -hmm. And that being through meditation and through breath and through understanding the energetic anatomy. Um, and in that process, I kind of went too far sometimes where I was bringing in too much energy into my system when it wasn't necessarily prime to be able to hold that much mm. and getting a little bit fried at some points. And so where I've come from there is oh, actually, there's no rush to go anywhere. And the harmonization of the anatomy and the system is what everybody needs because a lot of people are a little bit overstimulated. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy to receive your feedback because that is a, is a big was a big intention behind a lot of the meditations. Wow, that is, that is so amazing. So before we get too much into the interview, let's yeah. create some context. Of course, like, yeah. Yeah, so let's connect. I think we'll we'll start with... You know, maybe tell us a little bit about the genesis of your journey and how it is that you became a doctor and also how is it that, you know, how do you marry the two, you know, the the medical side and the spiritual, I guess, energetic side of, of the work that you're doing? I feel like I've been inspired by the fact that I've lived kind of like a dual, dualistic life where the first part of my life was entirely scientific and very logical and very, um, if it can't be proven, then it doesn't exist. And then I had a complete breakdown of all of that when I started practicing meditation. Um, and it was through um, having some emotional, psychological challenges that led me to meditate. And it was looking at the science of meditation that actually convinced me to do it, which is why we live in such a beautiful age right now where we have so much data that shows that this is incredible. And so I, I read an article and I thought, wow, if 10% of this stuff is true, my whole life is going to be different. So I did it for a few weeks. Everything that was going on psychologically, emotionally just faded into the background. But when I was consistent with the practice the logical mind that would doubt and would interfere and prevent me from having different experiences also kind of faded away and so then when that kind of uh filter faded 
I was a lot more open to have these experiences, which are not so scientifically proven, um, that are more ancient in the traditions of yoga and Taoism that are about your inner energy field and your in, the inner world. And so it was a continual exploration and an expansion from that place. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, I started meditation when I was at university and a group of us yeah. friends. I don't, and I was thinking about that and I, I don't remember who suggested it or even how they even got to thinking about it. But they, somebody suggested one day, let's get, you know, a mantra from TM. And so we went down to the TM center and, and did it. And I and I felt at first a little bit, is this cultish, you know, the Maharishi yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so, but then once I got my mantra and started doing Tia, what I really liked about it was you can do it anywhere and nobody knows you're meditating. You know, so shortly after I got my mantra, I actually applied to study at the University of Warsaw. And so next thing I know, I'm in Montreal and then Warsaw and on buses in Warsaw and I'm meditating and I kept meditating. And it was just, it really opened up my energy and it, and it opened me up to the people in Poland. And the first thing that struck me I don't know what I was thinking, but I thought, you know, who thinks of, you know, from Alberta, I'm from Alberta, all of a sudden applying to a university in Poland, of all places, like who even thinks of that? <laughs> and so when I got to Poland, uh, Warsaw, I was, you know, among the students and I thought, you know, these are just like the students in at the University of Alberta, they're exactly the same. You know, they were like me. Um, I mean, they weren't indigenous like me, <laughs> but they were, you know, like me. We had the same kind of ideals and um, conversations. And that's just how we were the same is what struck me. Because I don't know what I thought they would be like, but they were, it surprised me that they were like like the students from my university. So it was um, a really interesting, interesting trip. And one of the things that I found was when we went to the concentration camps and in one of them, I, I didn't want to go in into the concentration camp because I'm a bit of an empath. <laughs> and so I would feel, I was feeling more, the trauma that was experienced at these concentration camps. So I said, no, I'm just going to sit out here and meditate. You guys go in there. <laughs> and I waited for them. And when they came out and one of the students said, you know, where you're sitting, I'm sitting on this big pile. It was kind of like a little hill. I was sitting on the top. And she said, you know, this is actually ashes of the prisoners that were burned. That's wow. where they, they piled them on here and then they made a monument of it. And, and it just, I thought I was running away from it and I was right, yeah. right in it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But, 
what what you're saying about the energy really makes sense to me. And I was like, and I, you know, what struck me about when I started the course at the beginning were the questions that were asked in the first week. Hmm. Because I hadn't looked at those questions, and, you know, as an example, you know, who am I? You know, you know, what are my fears? You know, what are the things that I, that I am want people to, to know about me when I, or say about me when I'm dead? You know, we don't think of those questions because like I wanted to ignore the concentration camp. It puts you right in it. Like these questions put you right where you don't want to be. And immediately I thought this course is going to be good because it's challenging my own belief systems, right? And putting me right in, you know, a area where I would rather just ignore and and I think allows me to live more more deeply because then I'm faced with these questions and I started looking at answering them. And what I've been doing since I started was I'll go back to those questions every day before I start and, you know, go through the meditation that, that we do every day. I'd go back to the questions. And as I'm doing that, I'm changing it a bit because the process is, as you think about it, your answers change. And so I'm, so I'm, I keep going back and every day I'm changing it. Not a lot, but there's a few things that I hadn't thought about the previous day that all of a sudden through, through the day answers will come to me and then I'll just, oh yeah, okay, I'll change that and, and add more. So I don't know what's going to look like at the, when I'm completed, but it's going to look, I should have actually done track changes in my document. So I could have seen, wow. you know, how that changed over the over the, the few weeks that I'm doing this. But I'm really enjoying the course, and I want to say that I'm actually really enjoying the the breath work. A few years ago, I I I had a a friend of mine. She was a Kundalini, Kundalini yoga instructor, and hmm. so I said, "Well, let's do." A breathing course for some of my friends. So I invited some friends over and I called them up and I'm, and I said, you know, I'm going to have this, this person come in and teach us breathing. Well, and you know, the thing is people said, what? I already know how to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, yeah. you may well, know you? how to breathe, <laughs> but you could be breathing wrong. <laughs> yeah. So there is the right way to do it. And yeah. so she she did the um the breathing exercise with us and it was really amazing you know because most of us i would say 80% of us we were really breathing wrong yeah and yeah. Um, and so you have to re you have to retrain yourself to breathe properly and as infants if you look at a baby they're breathing correctly and as you get older, you change, you, you reverse the way you breathe and you change the, and you don't breathe as effectively. So, yeah. So anyway, that's just a little, little, um, 
Good. But it's interesting, you know, when you bring up breathing, people's first reaction is, I already know how to breathe. Yeah, yeah. it's simple. Of course. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, first of all, I, I like, I hope you don't mind if I borrow your recommendation for going back to the questions throughout the course. Yes, I would love that. It's, it's really beautiful because the reason that those questions are provided in that way at the beginning is it's a big intention setting process. Mm -hmm. So you're recalibrating to the version of you that wants to be birthed that is being, that has actually invited you into this process because mm. it's a massive catalyst for change. Just by doing the meditations and the breath and the practice will completely recalibrate your thought processes and your energy flow and your access to different emotions. And by checking in at that first stage of, okay, so this part of me, this version of me in this present moment, what does he or she want to be? What does he or she want to express as um, into the world? And so um, I think that's really beautiful. So thank you for sharing that because this kind of feedback is uh, really helpful to, to see how to kind of tweak and, and make things the most optimal for everybody. Um, and then with the breath, the, the, the deep diaphragmatic breath all the way down into the lower parts of the belly is activating all the seven energy centers. And what tends to happen because of insecurity or because of sexual trauma or because of power dy control dynamics between these first three energy centers, mm -hmm. people lock off and stop connecting all the way down into their root. So with this recalibration of the breath, what it's doing is it's just completely realigning our energetic anatomy, but it's also re-energizing ourselves. It's bringing more oxygen into every cell of the body. It's clearing emotional um, emotions that are stuck in the digestive system a lot of the time. It's helping our digestion. It's maintaining our nervous system. It's improving our immune system. So when I first discovered this, and I, and I looked at the diaphragmatic breath and realized I wasn't doing it. it. It was strange that this could be something that I was getting wrong. And it, and it was strange trying to retrain myself. And sometimes you feel, I don't know if you felt, but you kind of feel a resistance to it. To... Because it's tension. Yeah. Yeah. You kind That's of feel. Preventing from it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I know there was somebody in the group that she would almost hyperventilate when we were going through the exercise because yeah. she couldn't get, she couldn't, I guess she was trying too hard to undo what the way she was breathing. And so not breathing from the diaphragm, not, not breathing totally in. And it was really an interesting um, exercise. So one of the things I noticed as well is some of the exercises, the meditation exercises, the kind of like the body scans kind of reminds me of yoga nidri. I do a yoga nidri at night and it, it reminds me of that. So is it similar to that? Is it that or is it something else? It is something else, um, but will probably enhance your experience in yoga nidra because this type of meditation is designed to resensitize the body. Mm. When we go through life, if we've been very attached to the thought content and being very uh, identified with the mind, a lot of people have very little connection with the sensations inside of the body. And the sensations inside of the body are an incredible anchor into the present moment because they're always changing. 
but they're also giving so much information around the outside world because we are interacting and feeling nature and other people inside of our own bodies. And so the more that we devote to practices like this, where we just, where we feel, um, we, we tend to unlock some of our gifts. And it's also this process of feeling, it really took me years to learn how to do properly. Mm. Because it's, it's really, we create so much association and so much relationship with sensation and emotions in our body. For, for a lot of people, it's aversion to emotion and sensation that, oh, I don't, I don't want to feel this or feel this way. And so the relationship that we need to have to be able to effectively process the emotions is one of kindness and acceptance and non-aversion of just allowing the emotions to be there. Like you're inviting a friend over for a cup of tea. So mm. you're just here. There's no, you don't have to do anything. And it, with that sense of in, in, invitation, they tend to just relax. But. For me personally, there was a lot of, oh, I have this emotion and I have these tools and now I need to do something with them and I need to make them go and change. And so there's, there's it's, it's a journey, I feel. But when, when you get the sweet spot, the relationship with the emotions becomes really beautiful. Mm. And there's so much energy trapped in them. There's so much potential energy in the emotions yeah. and so much information that we can receive from them that life becomes a lot richer when we do that adjustment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I agree with what you're saying because I find that, you know, when you're meditating, sometimes you get to a sweet spot and then you and you kind of, ah, oh, this is it, this is what it's all about. But it lasts like a, a fraction of a second and then it's gone. Right. And so you it it almost seemed to me that I was meditating to get back to that again, yeah. feel that yeah. thing, but it's kind of elusive. It, it keeps, I mean, when you're trying to get to it, you don't get to it. You just have to surrender that, surrender to it, and then it'll happen. The, the, the state that you're talking about is only found in the present moment. So mm -hmm. any desire to get somewhere, the projection of energy into the future and will always remain elusive unless there's a state of pure acceptance for what is. And that comes with whatever's going on in the mind, whatever's going on in the sensations in the body. And yeah. that's why this program, it, it's focused at looking at all of these different aspects of the human experience that happen within the present moment. And when we can be fully aligned with all of those exactly as they are, those states that you're talking about happen just naturally, nothing to do. It, it, you cannot do them. And that's where the magic comes. But we're so programmed to do that. This is a this is an unlearning. That, that, that's the thing. It's it's actually okay. I'm going to teach you this tool, but it's actually teaching you a tool to go back to the way that you were when you were a baby, the way that you were before you put all these constructs of how to operate on top of your natural operating system. Right. Yeah. I I think that's um, when we look at it in that regard. The first thing. I think of is, in which I have no memory of, but then I kind of think of who I might have been or who I was as a baby or a young child toddler. And I can't, I can't even imagine 
like I, I have no memory of my childhood, like as a toddler, I have no, no memory. I don't, in fact, my sister often, my older sister often tells me a story of, um, I got really ill as a child. I was about two years old and she had to take me to the hospital. So she escorted me to the hospital. And then we went, I guess, because I was good, we went for ice cream after. And she took me to this cafeteria. And I was just little, probably two or three. And um, we had ice cream. And I really liked it. That was the first time I've ever had ice cream. And I really enjoyed it. So I said to her, I love this, but I can't finish it. I'll just, can I just put it in my pocket for later? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, no, you can't. It's going to melt. And so um, we just left it. But, you know, that was a memory that she tells me about, but I have no memory of it. But I can kind of feel like I have a memory of the restaurant she took me to. I can kind of see that restaurant. I mean, not see it in the sense like that you can imagine. Yeah. Because I have aphantasia, so I don't have that imagery in my mind. But yeah. I can feel that restaurant. And yeah. I can feel her next to me and that experience. I can feel that. But I don't have a visual imagery of it, which is, I always find it kind of strange that I don't have the ability to have visual images in my mind. So I can't remember things in that way, but I think I have a, you know, how you, you build up certain, I guess, characteristics. If you don't have something, then you build it. Something else takes its place. And for me, it's a sense, a feeling, a sense feeling, which is more enhanced than imagery in my mind. So. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, well, no, because I had the same, I had the same experience that when I was, um, it, it didn't really become a factor that was part of my experience before I started meditating because I didn't put any value on it. Mm -hmm. But when I started meditating, I wasn't able to construct images in my mind's eye. And so it really empowered and enhanced the sense of feeling. It was this, the other sense that naturally occurred to compensate for the, the lack of being able to see pictures in my mind. And then as the energy flow in my body has opened more and more, and especially into my head and neck, images have started to be able to be formed. They're, they're not, they're getting increasingly clearer at the beginning. At the beginning, I was not really sure if I was actually doing anything. And now I'm sure that images are forming. It's just happening on a plane of experience that's so foreign to what I have experienced in my, the rest of my life. That at the beginning, there was a level of uncertainty about whether it was actually happening. Mm. So now I'm having a very strong felt sense and I'm able to now engage in visualization. But the thing is, from on the research that I've done, 
the ability to feel is a visualization. I know you would imagine visualization as being sight. Yes. But the process is just as valid if you're able to feel the way you would feel in a scenario in the future or you're able to connect to the feeling you had in a childhood memory. Mm-hmm. It, it does the same process inside of your subconscious. Yeah, I get it. And I think, I mean, I'm excited for you to go continue through the course because it's an expanding process. So in the, in the later weeks, it really is about opening and accessing your energetic anatomy. Yeah. And seeing if anything changes, not that it needs to, but mm-hmm. that was my experience through, through doing these types of practices. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's interesting you say that because, I mean, you've said that to me before and I've, I've, um, after I heard you say that, I started to see in my meditation more imagery. Like I started to, but it's really, really faint. Like it's, it's almost like if you put Vaseline on a, on a lens, it's yeah. like that, right? It, but it's, it's a muscle. It's like, yeah. it's something you have to, you have to train up. And it's exactly how it started for me. Yeah. It was like, okay, I'm visualizing a square in my mind. Oh, it's good for a second and it flickers away. Oh, I've hold, I've held it. Okay. It's there. Okay. It's, the square is now blue. And, and, and then it flickers and, and it's like, it's like just you're connecting the, the wires into the circuitry so right. that these things can kind of kick back online. And it's also about letting go of the belief of, oh, I have this condition and therefore I cannot do this anymore. Because right. that belief will stop you from even trying to access the function in its first place. Yeah. And, but I never knew I had aphantasia until maybe three years ago. And that, because I just, thought the way I was was the way everybody was. I didn't know mm. people had the ability to actually see image in their mind. Yeah. My husband actually can hear music in his mind. So sometimes he's humming away and he's listening to some <laughs> classical music piece. He can actually hear the whole score in his head. Like a Spotify yes. <laughs> thing. Yeah. Into his brain. It is. And so, and he also, and some people also can have, they can conjure up scents. Like if you say lemon or oranges, they can actually smell that yeah. in their mind. Yeah. But, yeah. but I have a real, and, and scent, like having a sense of smell is really powerful to the mind. Because when I was young, after I had that illness, and I had surgery, had number of surgery. I remember they used to put me to sleep. And just before they put me to sleep, must have been the gas, because it was kind of a smell, a certain smell. And they'd say, count back to, you know, to uh, count back to, you know, 10 or whatever. And I'd go, you know, 10, 9, 8. But I would smell that smell. And then I would be out for surgery. Yeah. So, and then one day I went to the clinic for, I think it was just to get a vitamin B12 shot or something, but somewhere there was that smell and I almost fainted. Wow. <laughs> because that smell in my mind means you're going to be out. Asleep. Yes. <laughs> and I said, what is that? You know, after, you know, she said, are you okay? And I said, well, no, there's this smell. And it was something she had on the counter. 
I don't know what it was, but it smelled just like the thing that puts you to sleep. But it, you get the sense of smell, which is really connected to your mind. I'm a few years ago after I had, I had uh, heart surgery to get to remove a axoma. And, um, and then during the surgery, I had, a, I had, I had a stroke. So a partial stroke. And so that got me really interested in how the brain works because yeah. it's really fascinating. And I don't think people understand how, you know, how the brain is such an amazing organ. Like I couldn't believe, you know, when the doctor would say, because um, I was I was diagnosed with left side neglect, which meant mm. I couldn't see anything on my left side, but my eyes were working perfectly. I just couldn't see the item unless he said, "Well, there's the glass on your left side," and then I'd look again, and like magic, it was there. <laughs> but it was always there. I just didn't see it. Right? Wow, and. Uh, so I started, I started reading books on neurology and, you know, like, um, what was that doctor's name that, uh, wrote, uh, my hat, my wife as a hat, um, doctor, he was a neurologist. Anyway, he had said that, you know, through neuro, 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 um, through our neuro senses, we can create pathways and train our yeah. brain to do certain things. So I started to train my brain um, on my iPad. I, I downloaded games that that could show how your how your eyes are tracking things. And so as I kept doing these these games, I kept training my eyes to see on the left side. Because it would wow. it would grade you, um, you know how how many you're missing on the left side or the right side. Right. You can switch sides, um, and then I started doing other things in terms of balancing, balancing left and right side, and um, anything I could do to just create a neuro pathway, to a new neuro pathway, so that my brain would start learning. And it just totally fascinated me. I just really was, I, I couldn't get enough of it because I wanted to know why is my brain behaving like this? <laughs> yeah, why, why did it do what it's doing? Why is it, because it, especially with the eyes, because I know the eyes and the brain are connected, but if my eyes are working properly, but it's not telling my brain what it what I'm seeing, then there's a disconnect there. And I don't and I didn't believe that it was a permanent disconnect. It might have been, but I didn't think it was. So I felt that if I could just create the neuro pathways and start training my eyes to see things, then it would do that. Because I I I believe that it would. Yeah. And studies have shown that neuropathways, creating new neuropathways, you do train your brain to do certain things. So, absolutely. As much as things are within my control, then I 
I try to do these things. And, uh, and sometimes I do them just in, to, to say that I can. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my specialist says to me one time, because I, I spent three months in the hospital in uh, rehabilitation. And he said, Angelina, I'm going to recommend you see a, psychologist, a psychiatrist or psychologist. And I said, why? He says, well, because a lot of people that experience strokes, they get depressed. And, you know, I want you not to get depressed. And I said, well, I never get depressed. And he says, well, humor me, just go see her. So I, so I went to see a psychologist for three months. And basically all she was doing was help me with um, building my memory. And I found the exercise that she gave me to build on my memory. I knew about because through meditation, I could do a lot. I do a lot of those exercises when you're meditating. You know, uh, for example, um, first exercise she gave me was she showed me a, a grape. And she showed me this grape and she says, I don't want you to eat it right now. Just feel it. You know, you know, roll it in your fingers, feel it, and then just eat half of it, break it in half, smell it, feel it, and then you can eat it, <laughs> right? And so what, what I felt she was doing was just putting me in the moment, hmm. right? Rather than just seeing a, a grape and picking up and eating it, she made me feel it in the moment so that I felt the texture of it. I could feel these you know, how it looked, then smell it and then taste it. But everything was within the moment. Hmm. And a lot of the exercises were like that. They were just getting me into the moment. And so all I have to say is that whether we believe it or not, if we train our brain consistently, you can build new neuropathways and you can create new skills and um, just tapping to different areas of your brain. And I think that's what, what the meditation does for me. And as I'm going into the course, one of the things that this week that I started looking into was the shadow work, which is another, you know, the shadow work was, is really actually quite interesting because it's kind of like a reflection of yourself. It's an inner reflection of who you are, but it's, it seems to me it's the things you don't want to face in yourself. So you, you, you bring that to the surface and then you process it, right? And then you, then you learn more about who you are. Am I explaining that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, this process of self-love and it's seeing that your external world and all the things that irritate you or that you resist or reject from the external world are mirrors for the aspects of yourself that you do not accept and so this process of using the external world and the things that are triggering you that are creating 
a strong emotional charge inside of you, you then change the relationship with those responses and use them for healing. And what that then does is it changes your relationships with the loved ones and the people around you that when they do irritate you, you go from a state of you made me feel like this, then I'm feeling like this. Let me find out why that is. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just a complete transformation of experiencing negative emotions inside of ourselves and utilizing them as tools for massive transformation. Yeah. And it's kind of difficult to do. At the, at the beginning, at, yeah. you know, at the beginning, it absolutely is because you're ha having to really change your relationship with your ego mm. because the ego is like, I'm right, you're wrong. And so I'm pissed off. It's not because of me. It's just because of you and the way that you're behaving. And sometimes, a lot of the time, the other person's behavior is um, unacceptable. And that's okay. But what this does is it empowers you to be able to communicate your boundaries. And that's another thing that's going to come up later on. Sorry to, for the spoiler. <laughs> um, but also to do so without changing your energetic vibration. Because when you allow yourself to become aggressive or irritated or angry at someone, you're actually giving your power away. Because you're the only one that's suffering there because your entire internal environment has changed. And when your internal environment changes, there's a whole cascade of hormones and, th and things that are released, chemicals in the brain that actually creates harm. Mm and puts you into a state of stress. And so through this work, you transform your reaction to the behavior of other people so that your internal environment doesn't change, but you can still tell someone to get lost. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the important thing. It's not just this passive process of like, okay, well, you can walk all over me because this is all about me. You know, it's, I just, I'm responsible for my own reactions. And that is very empowering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you always have a choice. And and it's also this process of discovering then that, oh, wait, there really is a part of me that I'm not accepting. And then learning to love that increases the amount of energy you have available inside of you because a lot of treasure is held within the shadow. Mm -hmm. It's it's really aspects of your psyche and also energetically. It's because it's, it's in your in your subconscious, but it's also within the physical body, which is where the subconscious is held. It's in your whole, your whole field. So by doing this work and it's a consistent process, it really will free up a lot of energy and it really will activate your gifts as well as processing the emotions will do as well. Wow. Yeah. Well, when, what got you thinking about shadow work? I was really interested in the work of Carl Jung and yeah. Carl Jung initially speaks about the shadow, but then it's the shadow work is, is a big part of this process of becoming a master of your own internal environment. Mm -hmm. It's something that if you um, ignore, you're not really able to progress very, um, very far because you're consistently going to put your problems outside of yourself and and stop take and you'll stop taking responsibility for your own internal world. Um so I would say the shadow work is an extremely important 
important part of this process of mastering the internal environment, but it's one that isn't done in a day. Right. It's just, it's just a process of, okay, but this is just a change that I now make towards my associations with this experience. And life is going to consistently provide me with things to look at and to reflect and contemplate on. Um, and some of the stuff you ignore, you know, it's like it, it, it goes as a blind spot. But then it gets louder and louder and louder until you're thinking, well, this this type of behavior I've been witnessing in my life repeatedly, people keep doing the same thing to me or um, I keep having this feeling like I'm being betrayed. Mm. And then it's like, OK, well, let me find out what's going on, because this, this, I'm getting a message from life. Um, I, or I keep being irritated by the same kind of behavior of someone being too noisy or me thinking like someone's um being too much for example that that's a common one mm-hmm. like, is, is, and then it, you go inside and you think okay but where am i keeping myself small for example or wh- wh- where, where in my childhood was i told that i was too much and where did i make a decision at that point to stop having my own natural expression because when i was a kid i was fully flamboyant and extravagant and very expressive but actually now i hold that back and then once you start to uncover that you can then start to witness with the increased mindfulness the thoughts that come up in the mind of oh you're being too much stop stop being so loud and then you're like oh there it is i can i can see actually that pattern playing out and all these different factors then come into into rebalancing and allowing you to then connect back to your natural essence yeah or doing something totally different i'm um, I'm a um, product of the Indian residential schools. I don't know if you've heard of them in Canada. So in Canada, the government, the government of Canada had a policy where they would gather up all the indigenous kids and put them into residential schools, like a boarding school. And before... Right me like the the older indigenous kids were put in there for a full year they never went home at all they were put into these and they were run by the churches and the objective of that policy was to kill the indian and the child so they couldn't speak their language they couldn't they couldn't do any of their ceremonies or they couldn't do have any of their their traditional, you know, clothing and that type of thing. So they took them, they cut their hair, almost like military, right? So they cut their hair, they took their clothes, gave them uniforms, and put them into this church-run um, schools and um, try to change them to assimilate them. And these these institutions actually were really horrific because they weren't, even though they were run by Christians or Catholics or Anglicans, they weren't good schools. Like they, you know, in most recent years, they've been finding bodies or bones of resident, former residential schools students on the property of these old schools so they're 
the trauma from that is ongoing, right? Because the policy still exists in terms of the colonizers. Um, So it seems like the policies that initially started these schools by the colonizers exist to some extent because they have what they call the Indian Act, which kind of regulates all the First Nations in Canada under the federal government is what they should do, how they should do it. And, um, and it's archaic and they should actually get rid of it. But a lot of First Nations don't want to because they, that's all they've known. And they're afraid of getting rid of that so that they don't know what they would replace it with. At the same time, there's generations of trauma. And when you talk about, you know, some of the energetic things that are within our body, trauma is one of them. And so, you know, like the intergenerational trauma is is creating other issues, right? Being, you know, such as alcoholism, drug abuse, um, physical abuse, that type of thing that that Indigenous people have to correct or override, you know, those traumas. But but as with anything, you need to first acknowledge it, right? That it occurred. And I did have um, an interview with a psychologist that works with Indigenous children. And she said something to me that really surprised me because we were talking about trauma. and And I said, well, I don't think I ever had trauma, you know, I don't know. Um, and she said, well, were you in residential school? And I said, yes. And she says, well, you know, you were taken away from your parents and put into these residential schools. So there was trauma. Any child that's removed from their parents, that's a trauma right there. Yeah. And I said, well, I wanted to go to school. I asked my sister, I want to go to school. And she took me and she said, but at the same time you were removed, like you, you didn't have the free will to go home after school. You had to stay in the residence. So that is trauma. And then also too, then when you're in an institution, you're told there, there are rules, you know, when to eat, when to sleep, when to do, when to, we prayed morning, noon, and night. We we were praying all the time. <laughs> so uh, we're being indoctrinated, right? So you don't have any free will. And I was reading something a little bit later about how if you're raised in a um, confining environment, you then tend to resent that controlling part of it, right? And that in some cases, you become the controller, right? You, you become what you don't like. And I find, yeah, I'm a bit of a control freak. <laughs> I really am. I like to have things my own way. And I like to have, um, like, I like to have control. Like, for example, I've never tried... Um, ayahuasca, for example, 
And I know people try that and they go to Peru, they go to other places to try ayahuasca to get in touch with themselves. And I think for me, I find that problematic because when you're these companies that are running these ceremonies for ayahuasca, especially in Peru, it's an, ind it's an indigenous medicine. And if you're not indigenous from that area, then I feel you're, you're taking the medicine in the wrong way. Like it's not actually for you. It's because you're not there. I don't know. What do you think of that? Well, just before I touch on that, like one thing that you shared there that was I feel really relevant is you're talking directly about the shadow there in the fact that when you have this element that you don't accept in other people, you tend not to accept it in yourself. And when you don't accept it in yourself, you tend not to see it. So the there's a perfect example of when people are having an aversion to being controlled by others and I had a quite a controlling upbringing and had the same kind of aversion and desire for freedom, but then found also there were some controlling characteristics that I was having mm. with my friends and with my loved ones. So it is that, that dynamic that happens of this like stuff that's blocked out by your subconscious that I'm not this. And I have totally, if I think anyone else is this, then I make them other than myself and create separation between the two of us get lots of emotional charge built up inside of me actually there's a possibility i'm doing the exact same thing and when we think of like tyrants and dictators i think it's all about shadow work for them because i think where they started off was a vision that was maybe purer than what it ended up as and in the process of having all of this um, aversion to the behavior of other people and this all this shadow within them it twisted and manipulated and became something very different and so to, to talk also um about plant medicine i feel like um plant medicine can be really useful if you really need a restart i think if you want to you know if you want to control or delete and close everything and open it back up again, I think plant medicine can be useful for that. I, I don't necessarily feel like it needs to only be done by the indigenous people. Um, I think it would be more powerful if you come from an indigenous um, background, because it's about, like you said, it's the ancestral DNA, it's the ancestral patterning that we have inside of ourselves that will be more available and accessible to these realms of consciousness that gets opened up with plant medicine. Mm. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I think I think that's I you know like I find that so many of the well when you're looking at plant you know indigenous plants what well, the whole pharmaceutical um world is made from indigenous plants. And I yeah. you know like and and there, a lot of that is, there's a question of whether or not it can be uh, copyright, whatever, you know, um, but it's natural plants and indigenous people have had the knowledge. I, I know of 
um, actually a, um, we call them medicine men. Um, so I know this medicine man from New Mexico. And he, he was like, it was such an amazing experience with him because he, I had seen him before and then I called him once I came back home to help me with an issue. And as he was burning the sage and telling me where I should put the sage and, and I'm thinking about, as I'm doing it, I'm thinking, oh, this guy's kind of crazy. I don't know. I think he's out there. I don't. And then he says, you're probably thinking I'm crazy. <laughs> I was just thinking he was crazy. <laughs> But he actually helped me quite a bit once we went through the process. And then I went down to New Mexico and saw him again at his his place. And um, it really did help, like the, the work that he did with uh, But what I really connected to more than the medicine that he was giving me was his songs. Because he, when he was singing the songs, I kind of connected with the vibration of the song. I don't know if it makes sense, but it was... The, you, you felt it in your body. Yes, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, exactly. And, and I felt that it was healing and it, and it, and it was healing. And, but, I, but other things I don't have um, the same open-mindedness to such as uh, microdosing and that type of thing, maybe because I don't understand it, maybe because I never like to, um, I never like to give my power to anything, hmm. you know? And so I find that for some people, microdosing probably is really good. And, you know, back in the seventies, I think they, they had studies with LSD and, um, open up people's minds and it was actually quite good but I find that for me personally I don't think I would ever do that because I mean I wouldn't even take pharmaceuticals I, when I was in the hospital I actually after my surgery I got I had an infection and it was it was actually bad and so the doctor says, I said, you know, every time you change my dressing, it's just horrible. I can't stand it. And he says, well, I'll give you a little bit of thing, something for your pain. And, you know, we'll give it to you 20 minutes before the dressing change. It'll be really good. And I fought him on that for until I couldn't stand the pain. <laughs> and so finally he gave me, he says, it's really, really a small amount, but it'll take the pain away. So he did, he gave me that. And, and I couldn't believe that it worked. I said, I can't believe I, I didn't feel the pain. It was so amazing. And so after that, we, we started before the dressing change, he would give me a little bit of that, but I don't like taking anything. And I'm not really come around to his way just because I was in so much pain I did I did you know agree to it yeah uh, there's a huge numbers of people in the world are choosing to explore 
with plant medicines and for some people it does provide a lot of benefit but i absolutely don't feel that it's something that you need to have uh, a progression in your spiritual advancement and for for some people it really is the path that they used to follow by using plant medicines and having experience in plant medicine and um that's not that's not my path that I choose to follow but for those that do feel that call and that resonance then uh, it's yeah I'm I'm sure it's right for them if, they, if that's what they feel attracted to one of the things that um that I know that can be provided through um taking large doses of plant medicines is a surrendering of the ego like in ego death as such and that process can be very scary um because you're essentially surrendering your consciousness to a foreign body and it's a, it's a, a foreign consciousness that comes from outside of your physical body and uh, interacts with it um and that that can be um can be very intense to experience scary um in scary it can be yeah um uh, there, there's there's also some value in that, but you can experience the same thing through meditation. Um, when you go when you go very deep in meditation to to get to more advanced levels um, and um, more profound experiences, it is a way of learning how to. Um, I don't like the word of silencing the mind because that's never going to get you anywhere. You can't silence your mind, mm-hmm. but it's a an extreme relaxation and connection and um, merging with the present moment that results in these ego cessational experiences where the ego just kind of stops but you can't uh you can't silence it you just have to actually just relax so deep that you're actually so expanded in your consciousness that your the thoughts in the mind don't interact with you they don't come up on your radar because you're actually so expanded in your awareness Mm. And I think that's what plant medicine does actually. It creates that experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's that yeah, and meditation does that for me. Um, especially when you're doing, you know, a meditation, a meta meditation, yeah. which is, you know, loving kindness and compassion. Yeah. Because you know, you start first with yourself yeah. and then with somebody you know and love. And then you add more people. And then next thing you know, you're adding your whole house. And then you're adding your, your town, your city, your province, then the whole world. And so you're putting out this expansion. And it's, yeah. and it, and it's really um, quite similar to, I think, indigenous knowledge in terms of we're not alone, that we are part of everything. And we're also part of nature. Because we are nature, we're not separate from, right? So we we become uh, connected and we're connected from everything. And I, and I think about, um, I always tell, when I'm telling people this to get them to understand, I, I give an analogy of a tree. Because a tree, well, I live in the, in the urban areas. So there's a lot of trees around here. And the trees are actually living and communicating with them with other trees and they can it's almost like um they have their own wi-fi so they communicate with all the trees in their area like i think up i think the study said up to like 35 miles or more that they're connecting through their roots 
to each other. And it's, and I feel it's like people, if we can open our mind to connecting to one another and not feeling separate, then we'll be more in tune with, with, um, with the universe, right? With humanity and our own humanity. Um, yeah. The heart is, is the main way to do that. Yeah. And so there's, I, I devote two weeks on the course to activating the heart because it's so, it's so powerful. It just provides so much more energy and it just changes our ability to interact with life mm. in such a beautiful way. Yeah. Um, and meta is a really, really amazing way to do that as well to cultivate that passion and, and loving kindness for, for other people and, and for ourselves and to start with ourselves is so beautiful because I think um, a lot of us have an idea that um, we want to be in service to others and we want to do good, mm-hmm. um, but it, to start with ourselves yeah, for us to have the strength and the energy to be able to be in service in the highest way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, it's just natural. Once you accept yourself and you love yourself, it opens you up to recognizing how you can love other people. And I try to do the meta meditation on people that I don't love. Yeah, absolutely. That's the most powerful ones because that's the shadow work. Yes. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Like this, you, this person has pissed you off, but if you're choosing to love and open your heart, you're going to dissolve all of that poison that's come and formed inside of your, your energy field mm-hmm. through the, the aversion to them. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's pretty powerful. Yeah. It's, it's quite powerful work. Um, so tell me, so you are in, you're in Bali, right? Yeah. 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 I, I was in Bali once on my way from, from Australia to Indonesia. Um, and so I have in my mind where you are. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's quite far because you're, I think you're a day, a day behind me. It's Thursday morning. Uh, I'm, I'm 11 a.m. on Thursday morning. Yeah, and I'm I'm on Wednesday. Okay. So, I mean, <laughs> so it's a time portal. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So you know, like, and it's interesting because then, you know, it's Thursday morning there, and I had I used to have a niece in Australia, and she'd often call me. Um, in the morning, my early morning, which would be her late evening. And I, I remember one time she called me and, and she said, have you ever read this book? And I said, what book? And then she told me what it was. And I said, oh, yes, I have that book on my shelf. So I went and got it. We were FaceTiming. And then I showed it to her. And she had that book. But in that moment, even though she was the day difference from me but we're standing there in the moment holding the same book and it just kind of blew my mind (laughs) like how how it's um uh just the time fabric because time is a construct that we create and so we didn't have this time construct we would have just been too sold talking in that moment 
you know, so it kind of, it kind of blew my mind. Um, she's no longer with us, but, um, uh, it's, I hold on to that memory because it's, it's there and I can feel her, you know, and even though she's no longer here, I can feel that conversation that we had and how she just couldn't believe I had the same book. It was a meditation book and she had had the same one as I did. And it was a connection that we had that uh, just goes beyond time and space. And it lives in that spot even now. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, it's it's quite. Anyway, so yeah, so we've let's see, we're um, okay. We're we're kind of going over time here. <laughs> um, one of the things that I like in terms of your question, and I'd like to ask you this. You know, in the first week, when you, how do you want to be thought of after you passed on? So it's kind of a legacy question, I I think. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I I would love to be perceived as um, someone that did the best that they could in all moments. And someone that really worked for the for the whole and had an impact and impression to improve the quality of life of others. It, it really, that really is the biggest driving force for where I see myself going in, in the next years. And the biggest, the biggest thing that inspired me, I feel like I, I've been blessed to, to be where I currently am. And the idea to be able to share and support others to have that same experience in their own lives is um, it's the highest expression I can feel and think of as to where I'm going to go in my career and professional life. And also what I do with my friends and family is just try to support them to live happier and healthier lives. Mm, yeah. So I feel like, yeah, a continuing con and a combination and a summation of that would be a, a wonderful thing to be remembered by. And so do you find, I know with, with me, I find it the most difficult to friends and family to get them onto meditating or this type of work. It seems like it's more of a challenge, but you can, you know, get, I mean, I taught meditation at a Buddhist temple close to here for three years and I had lots of people that just wanted to learn. <laughs> You know, but people in my own family aren't as interested. I don't know. Do you find something like that? Yeah, I, I've had the journey of trying to shake everyone and being like, you have to do this stuff because everything's going to get so much better. Just do it, please. And it really didn't work. And, and I learned very quickly that that's really not how to approach people. So my family have been a really wonderful uh, mirror for how I need to show up in the world, which is, um, hey, would you would you like to have some information about something that might help you where you're going on, what you're going through? And so I'm always checking in for the invitation because rather than just saying, 
here's what I think is going to help you. It's like not for me to tell anyone what to do. Um, so that was one thing that, that that's really helpful. And then also just focusing on my own in my own experience and becoming the the living embodiment of why this stuff works. And from that, people start to think, "Wow, you're so much kinder and happier, and I like being around you so much more, and our relationship so much better." Oh, you're actually a person that I want to ask for advice now because you you, you got your shit together. Um, whereas it, it in the past it wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily have been someone who's saying, "Hey, you need to do this. There's so much wrong with you. That's not something you want to take advice from." <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the that's my pathway of being able to, to to guide and support my family, but then also try to keep a relationship with them where I'm not so I'm not putting myself above them as telling them what to do, especially with my parents, like keeping the dynamic between us of so that they can still be parents as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though I feel like I have value to share with them that would improve their life situation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I, I find with, with me, I mean, I, I guess I'm not so gentle as to, you know, if, if I have somebody that's, that's always stressed, yeah, I would say, you know, if you meditate just five minutes a day and build it up to, you know, 20 minutes, an hour. But if you just do that, it'll help you reduce your stress, you know, so that it brings it down so your cortisol level isn't always up there in fight and, and flight, you know. Um, but that doesn't really work. <laughs> it, you know, like I, I'd like, because I know the value of meditation. I know that, I mean, if anybody that knows me knows that, I'm pretty steady. Like I don't have these highs and lows. I'm pretty steady. You can almost count on what mood I'll be in because I'm consistent. But, you know, for example, you know, people that get irritated in, in traffic or lineups. Like if I'm in the traffic or a lineup, I just kind of like, okay, that gives me a couple extra minutes. I can just meditate while I wait. And, and so I'm just not stressed at all. I don't, I don't try to change it. I don't wish they were gone. I just accept it and just go with the flow, you know? Um, yeah. And if, and if pe if everybody operated like that, we wouldn't have road rage. We wouldn't have, I think in the States, I saw in the news, I don't watch the news, but I, it came on today just shows up on my phone and there was some kind of shooting um after the the game um during the game parade there was a shooting and so those people are angry like i i didn't i don't know how many people were injured but we wouldn't have those types of things if people would just be kinder and meditate like just not try to change anybody, just accept everybody in the situation. And I, and to your point, like you don't just acquiesce and let 
bad people do bad things to you. <laughs> you know, you you have you have boundaries and you there's but you can always choose your reaction to things. No matter what it is, like how horrific or how nice it is, you can choose how to behave at all times. Yeah. Even if you 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 have a knee-jerk reaction and you're angry for a second, you can, you can bring it down and say, mm. okay, like just get some perspective and change the way you be, are in that moment. It's, it's a nice way to approach it when you're experiencing someone who's kind of going through something, whether that be stress or whether they're irritated or they're going through some, a challenging moment is to first start by just asking them how they're doing and give them the space to express because that's creating that's creating the connection and you that will already open them and will support them in, in any way uh, and then once they've had that space just to share what's going on for them and you're just fully present with them um then you can ask for an invitation to share something that might be useful so okay well i, I have something that could help you would you be open to receiving it and that invitation that you create for yourself, sometimes some, it will come up naturally in the conversation where they'll ask you. But if if they say yes, then they're fully present with what you're going to share. And the stress levels that they're in have already dropped down 10 or 20%. So they're more available to actually receive what it is that you're going mm -hmm. to share. Whereas if it comes from a space of, hey, I can see that you're stressed. Um, I, I can tell you that meditation will help you they're not receiving information because they're stressed and maybe they're defensive because you've identified that they're stressed and they don't want to be seen in that way. Mm, mm. Good points. I love it. So that, that I find is really, really helpful um, to optimize your ability to be able to support other people in a really loving way. Yeah, no, that that's much better than my way. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is really great. Thank you so much. And what do you, um, what's your background? Are you, you're not Buddhist, are you? What are you? I, my, my background is um, Indian from the north of India and Punjab. But I was born in London. Um, and so Hinduism and Sikhism were the religions that I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And now I'm, consistently exploring every tradition that resonates with me to be able to, to identify how to amalgamate this manual of how to figure all this out and different mm. traditions for me have provided extremely powerful gateways into this like the the yogic tradition of understanding the energy centers and the energy flow in the body and, mm. and practicing yoga asanas um, has been really powerful for me. But then Buddhist meditation has been incredibly powerful for me, like types of Zen meditation and non-dual meditations have been really powerful for me, as well as the metta meditations, mm -hmm. um, some of the um, tantric practices about moving energy through the body, as well as the Taoist practices of cultivating our life force energy. So I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm in a point at the moment where I'm like, hey, this is the one path for me and I'm disregarding everything else and I'm going solely down this one path. But I, 
I question in myself whether this age that we're in, where we're so blessed to have all of this secret, sacred information that you would have to go to a mountain ashram in the middle of nowhere to be able to receive is now available on your Kindle or available Google search. I'm wondering whether this aid is about integrating the unity of all this information into the system. And um, I don't have an answer to that and I'll let you know hopefully one day yes no this is this is really great yes yeah exactly like i i found i mean i was raised in a home actually i've had 10 brothers five sisters i was a huge family and our house had no electricity or running water like we we just had this my dad built a little house and all of us i mean fortunately my older brothers and sisters were much older than me. And so by the time I was around, they were already in high school and university. Like they were out of the house, most of them. So I often think about the time where I was in this little house. And then I think of, you know, I'm doing these podcasts with people from all over the world, you know, and I think, Geez, as a little girl, we had a little transistor radio, and I remember my brothers, you know, doing the ground aerial so we could get better reception. And that was our communication, you know, for the outside world. And and now, 2024, I'm on this computer talking to somebody in Bali. Last month, I talked to somebody that was in Australia and before that, somebody in Bangladesh. Like, it's just, I can't imagine what this, the little me would have thought if somebody had said, you know, in, when you get older, this is what the world is going to look like. And it's, it's nothing we imagined, you know, like even 10 years ago, like it's, yeah. This whole, the way the world is going is so fast and technology. I mean, they're talking about AI now doing all sorts of things. And it's, it is the integration of all these ideas. Yeah. The palm of your hand, essentially. An exponential curve. Yeah is, yeah, is what we are currently experiencing. And I think we chose to be here at this time because it's going to be extremely rapid transformation, not only technologically, but in terms of consciousness. Mm. If we just look to what was happening and what was acceptable in society a hundred years ago and look at where we're at now and look at where things were 500 years before that, Again, it's an exponential curve in, in acceleration of consciousness. Um, and we, what I see is that we kind of have these, um, two different timelines of, of, of what it is to be human. Um, one in which we're, um, connecting more to nature and connecting more to our bodies and connecting more to the people around us and, and cultivating, um, love and acceptance. Um, and then there's another type of, um, of human that's, completely disconnected from that and completely associated with the mind and will live in a semi-virtual reality, which is all happening visually and mentally and not 
really interact very much with the sensations in their body. Um, so I think it's a, just a really interesting time. I think both avenues of that will accelerate really, really quickly. Mm, yeah, that's, yeah, I, I just got to process that because that's really huge what you just said. It's significant because well, it just kind of leaves me speechless, really. <laughs> the next even 10 years, again, it will be unrecognizable. Yeah. Um, I th- in 1990 to the year 2000, you could have predicted what kind of life we would be living and get it reasonably right. I think most people got an idea. Okay, TVs will be thinner. Okay, we'll be carrying phones. That that kind of pr- projection. Yeah. Really, for, for us now, I, re- I really don't think it's, it's very possible and easeful to be able to have, make that prediction because of how rapidly things are moving. Yeah. And it's almost like our mind really can't grapple with it. Right. It's, it's, um, when we, when we look at our own, I, what I really like what he said is we chose to be here in this time. And I believe that too. I think our, our spirit, our soul chooses what time we're, we're in. And we chose this time for whatever learning that we need to do. Yeah. And so we, we just need to be open to that learning and show up. But I think more and more people are showing up for others. Like what one of the books that had the biggest impact on me is, um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And it really impacted me because here's a man that lost his family in the Holocaust. And he chose, he made a decision that he was going to show up for other people. And that's, you know, that's what he then developed the whole um, logotherapy as uh, to deal with people that have had trauma and how to identify their the purpose. And I think more and more, I'm seeing people that are showing up in service of humanity, in service of others. And that's, you know, in as much as we have this craziness in the world, the Donald Trumps and the politics, we have people showing up for others in a big way. Um, during the pandemic, I created a non-for-profit foundation that, that looks at trauma and looks at questions uh, for Indigenous peoples and how to show up in the world in a big way. And, and I'm seeing more and more people doing that in their way, in in different areas. For me, it's Indigenous because that's who I am. And the podcast for me is to get a conversation out in the world that connects people in a global way on ideas and thoughts that can improve humanity. Hmm. And that, you know, the, the question that I often say, you know, if not me, then who 
you know, if not mm. when, you know, then when, you know, like if, if it's never, like then it's never, but we all need to do our part. And you know, we, we talk about climate change and climate issues that are going on, the fires, the extreme weather conditions. And we have to show up in the world to make these changes in as much as technology is going in a certain linear trajectory, we also need to look and see what we can do with, with the, the environment, the earth and what our part is in that, you know, so because it's important for the generations to come. The foundation that I set up talks about the set, it's the seventh generation and indigenous people's thinking. The seventh generation is when is a powerful generation because that's the generation that creates change. change. Yeah. It, it's um, when you do ancestral healing work, they say that it has an impact on the seven generations that came before you. Yeah. So yeah, that, that totally resonates. <laughs> That's great. So we've talked about a lot of stuff. You know, we talked about shadow work. We talked about your course that you're, you're providing online, Embodied Consciousness. Um, we talked a little bit about trauma. Is there anything, you know, this is an opportunity to put things out there. Is there anything we haven't talked about, even in the course that's going to be coming up, that you want to mention? Well, I, I think it's really, we've kind of touched on it, but it's when we can work with the energy centers in the body, we can also increase the sensitization that we have to the, to the sensations that are going on in the body. And some of the traumas are held within specific energy centers. And those energy centers are also tied to certain aspects of our physical health as well. So, and also held to certain emotional expressions and um, certain character traits that are undesirable within us that we, that we may not desire to cultivate and, and how we can balance that as well. So that's kind of in a, a, one of the weeks that, that comes up that one will be also really interesting to explore. Um, and, then there's, there's also, I mean, a whole bunch of, bunch of work about how we can work with the subconscious mind and how the subconscious mind is actually changing not only our neural pathways and how we can change the, the connections in the brain, but how through that process, we change the sequence of DNA that's being coded in the body, which is called epigenetics. And so um, we can transform the physical expression of the coding of our DNA. So even things that we have that we're born with that we feel are um, inherited, like heart problems or high cholesterol or things like that, through epigenetic changes that we can integrate and access through meditation um, and through changing our environment. And, and the environment is obviously like what we're putting it, the cellular environment is what toxins we're putting into the body, but it's also what thoughts we're cultivating because the thoughts are triggering different chemicals in the brain to be released into the bloodstream. And that's binding to the cells of the body and triggering changes in the DNA that's actually been coded for. And all of this is being, this is epigenetic has been validated scientifically and is a field of 
emerging medicine. Um, so that's really exciting that how we can actually work in meditation to transform our internal environment and how that internal environment then changes our external environment um, and our expression of life and experience of life. And that's really what a lot of this is cultivating too, because it's the transformation of the energy field is feeding back to the unified field that is pervading the universe and experience and how to work with that and how powerful that is in transforming experiences my biggest passion but we have to cultivate the focus in meditation first yeah. we have to get in connection with the sensations in the body to be able to feel the emotion to be able to feel the energy we have to activate the heart because it's the heart that enables the emotional expression and then it's the heart which creates this field that we're able to also record that goes around the body that yeah. connects with the field of information and this and it's how we connect to our intuition um and then moving into communication and then we after we move into communication in the energy centers then it's actually about how we can activate the energy centers with the energy of the earth for example um in these practices that come from shamanism and also come from um from the yogic traditions uh so I'm really excited for you to continue your journey and so beautiful that we, we connected at, at this stage and uh, dear to, to receive how, how you feel as you, as you go along. So thank you so much for inviting me and for sharing your experience. Well, thank you too, because I'm feeling as, you know, well, especially, you know, we started this conversation with my feedback on the meditation this morning, the seventh meditation. And I'm, you know, my mom passed away. It's been eight years now, this month. Mm. But when I was at her funeral, um, at her wake, and we were preparing the feast or the banquet for after the church, mm. I moved the banquet table. Um, and something happened. I felt something happen in the back of my, my back. Mm. And then I had a, a numbness down my leg and and that numbness at the the heel of my foot it's just mm -hmm. my my and it's kind of it's not really numbness it's more like a tightness but when we're when i was looking at some of the exercises i'm i'm really believing that this has something to do with the grief that i had when my mom passed mm. and I'm thinking as I go, I guess we'll find out, but as we go through the course that I might release that energy that's blocking down on my foot, bottom of my foot, because I, and it just kind of came to me when I did, when I was doing the exercises this morning, that it's a blockage of some sort. And, and I think once I release that pain or that grief, I'm hoping it'll it'll clear up. It could be wrong, <laughs> but I'm I'm thinking that's what it is. I, I would really expect that to be the case because the souls of the feet are about our connection to the earth, and and the earth is is Mother Earth. Mm. So. And and the the base of the spine is the root, which is the the first energy center that's about connection with with the earth. 
Yeah. And the legs are an extension of that. So um, either through um, the week where you work with emotions, that mm-hmm. may be in the body, or in, in the weeks that come where you are working with the energy of the earth or with the primary first energy center, it's very likely that there will be a change in, in the sensations that are coming as a result of that. So yeah. I'm looking forward to, to hearing. Well, I, I'm open to that. I'm open to that. I, I mean, last summer, I actually, well, two summers ago, I've, I, um, I designed a healing garden, you know, just out in front of my house so that I could walk barefoot in the garden. So initially when I planned it, I had stone steps. And then as I thought more about it, I wanted the energy from the earth not to be impeded by steps or cement. So I had them remove that and just have dirt. And then I had them do um, mulch, but really soft mulch. And it felt like a carpet. So when I walked in it, my feet just sunk down into the ground. And I, I had a belief that if I can connect energetically to Mother Earth to the land, then I would get that healing energy in my body. And so that was started last year. And then I had some more work done in the garden. So the garden I couldn't use for a while, but and now we're in winter. So I haven't gone out barefoot in the winter, <laughs> but I'm, I'm looking forward for spring and to go walk yeah. in the garden um, and just you know, feel it in the morning, like, you know, when the sun comes out and just to, like, it, it's almost like when you're doing that work, you get a, a bit of joy that comes from seeing the sun and feeling the energy and the, the dirt in your feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just healthy, I think. Anyway, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed this conversation with you and I and it's there's so many bits that we've talked about and it's going to take me um what I normally do is I'll listen to the conversation again and if if I can I'd like your advice I'll do the show notes and then send it to you and if you can um give me your feedback on the on the notes so that it can be clear, because what I really want, the intention for me is that people listening to this conversation that we're having are moved to do this course, are moved and inspired to do this course, because I'm really excited about it. I, th- I think that it's, every time I, I, I get so excited, like every week to start the new lesson, I want to go ahead, but I know that I hold myself back and I just go through the work because I know I have, there's a process and I need to go through the process before I get into the next stage. And so I'm holding myself back, but I really want to just, I thought, oh, I should just jump ahead and find out what's going to go on. <laughs> but it's, it's good to, to just, you know, just allow the process to happen and unfold the way it's supposed to happen. So you need to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. E- each week is supporting the week that follows. And so by 
doing it in a way that it's structured and designed will amplify the effectivity of of the following weeks. Mm. Um, and yet it's all synergistic. The, the thing is, is that, I mean, this is like three years of, or more, probably more like of, of meditation that I was doing a, like a lot of the time. And so each one of the meditations you could practice for a month and it would get, it would get deeper. Mm. So the best thing is that you do the 11 weeks as it's structured and then you keep a note of which one of these was really profound for me or which one did I really find was was creating a very powerful experience inside of me and also which one did I really, really not resonate with or like maybe not, not resonate, but which one did I just kind of have no impact with? And explore them. Like explore the ones that you felt like your mind was like, "Hey, I'm, I don't want to do this," because maybe there's something, something there to explore. But also the ones where you had like a really powerful and profound experience, it's going to go deeper and deeper the more that you explore with that. And my desire is that through having all of these tools, that you can start to learn how to do them, and that you then can just do a sitting meditation and it will arise for you from your intuition mm. what meditation to do in in which day and then you you have this all in your system right oh my god that sounds really wonderful <laughs> yeah i i think that um you're absolutely right i mean i've like i think the the reason why i keep going back to the exercise this morning was because it was so energetic and also it's it's kind of like um actually because of the numbness in my foot i couldn't do the real bouncing so i just went on my rebounder and did it there because you know i i believe in not forcing things so i i figured yeah and you always can have a little bit of help so i just went on the rebounder and did it with that and it was safe because there's there's a bar you can hold and but i i find that it was just like a flush of energy you know that that came over me and i thought wow this is like i could do so much today <laughs> because i was so energized but i was also calm so it wasn't a, it wasn't like the energy you get from coffee it was more like just real natural energy where after you have a nice sleep and you wake up that type of energy and it's um so anyway i want a lot of people to try this and uh your your course is structured so wonderfully and really thoughtfully and the questions are are thoughtful and um anybody that's interested will really get a benefit from it even if they Put in just five percent of the work. If you read the questions and it kind of looks like this is not going to work for me, even that thought, it will work for you because you it's in your mind already that you that this is not for you, and you don't want to face those questions. That after you think about it, 
if you go away from it, you're going to think about it and think of those questions. Like I thought after, you know, a week of being away from the questions and I'd go back to it, like I said earlier, my questions changed and I got, and I became more willing to look at it. And I think for me, it was, I mean, my brother passed away in December. So this whole thing about death and dying was too close to me because he's no longer here. And so I'm think, but he still is because as I think about him, I keep him alive. And so mm. I still feel that he's still here. So I, I wasn't afraid to look at the question and the possibility of my own death and what that means. But I think we're trained to not look at that. I mean, often we don't even say the word death. We say passed away. We say gone to a better place. We don't say death because it's too uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that that's a big process of the living experience is preparing for that moment. Mm. Yeah. And I think that it can be really beautiful and really sacred. And I think that all of these practices that, that we're doing, even though they're not actually about that topic, mm -hmm. it's about working with your mind and working with the emotions and working with gratitude and working with love. And I can only imagine that in those last moments before passing, if you were able to integrate some of those tools, mm -hmm. be a much more gentle and much more beautiful process of moving on towards whatever is coming after this. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Well, I know one of my brothers um, a month or so ago, he's, I said, uh, how are you doing? And he says, well, you know, I have this, that, things. You'll know when you get there. I said, where are you going? <laughs> and he said, well, he... Yeah, well, you're you're young now, but when you get older, things fall apart. And, um, you know, when when I'm ready to go, just let me go. I've lived my life like he's 80 something. He says, I've lived my life. Just let me go. And I said, no, I'll never let you go. <laughs> and he says, oh, that's because you're, you're still hanging on, you know, um, but. For me, I've lived my life. Let me go. So those words I will think of when he does pass and let him go because mm -hmm. that was his wish because he says that he's okay with it. He's ready. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a hard thing after losing. I've lost um, five brothers, you know, in the last mm -hmm. four years. So it's, a, I think this last one was really extremely difficult because it's cumulative. The grief is cumulative and I haven't had enough time to process each death that this last one was really, really difficult for me, but it's all a process. And I know it just takes time and eventually we're all, we're all going to be clouds in the sky. <laughs> yeah. This this was a, a saying by this Buddhist that he says, you know, 
the rain is the clouds, the sun is the clouds. Like we are, we're just nature. We, we never die. We just transform into something different. Yeah. And that's just who we are. Yeah. Anyway, I kept you long enough and it really late here. What a beautiful note to end on. <laughs> thank you for that. Well, thank you. And I will see you in Instagram. <laughs> I love your post and they're upbeat and really um, engaging. So thank you so much for that. And I, and I thank you, you know, with my heart that you've accepted my invitation to speak with me tonight or today, tonight for me, today to, for you. Um, and uh, it was a wonderful exchange and a good conversation. Thank you so much. Hey, it was an honor. Um, I feel so happy and rejuvenated by speaking to you. So thank you so much for bringing me here. Thank you so much for trusting by signing up to the course and feeling with your intuition that it was something to follow. And thank you so much for your support in helping me to support other people and provide them with these beautiful tools that are supporting and enriching us. I'm, I'm really grateful for you. Thank you so much. It's a beautiful course and thank you. <laughs>